three, two, one. Welcome to the first episode of Fresh Out of Tokens podcast. My name is Tanya D, aka Cypher of Tear, and you may have seen me elsewhere online under the guise of I Need First Games. And I'm going to let my illustrious co-host introduce himself to you. Uh, hello, I'm David, known on Twitter as Red Conversation. I'm an editor by trade and not as well known as Tanya, who didn't mention she also has that thing she works for Offworld. Um, I've done one article and one is almost in the can, which, way if you listen to this, I am going to finish your article once I'm done recording this <laughs> podcast. And then we are very lucky to have a guest with us on our first episode. I'd like to welcome Chris Algu from Brooklyn Gamery, if you want to introduce yourself, Chris. Hi, sure thing. Glad to be here. Like Tanya mentioned, I uh, am one of the co-founders of Brooklyn Gamery. I was the game designer, project manager, a whole bunch of things besides art because I can't draw for a recent game, Prism Shell. Awesome. So since it is the first episode, I just wanted to give a little background on, on A, why create a podcast when there's a lot of podcasts and why the name Crush Out of Tokens. With the advent of iNiverse Games, I've been talking about doing a podcast off and on for the last couple of months. And with the opportunity to sit down with Chris and talk about Prism Shell, um, I decided to just go ahead and do it and set up an account. And David was gracious enough to join me as a co-host and help with audio because I am an Audacity new. Um, so thank you, David, for that. Uh, it's and, no problem at all. Well, I'm glad because for those listening, this literally was put together in like eight hours. So the fact that we're recording is amazing. <laughs> um but as to the name Fresh Out of Tokens, it actually came about because I was on Justice Points with Apple Cider Mage and Zufit, and we were talking about representation and, and you know when people are tokenized in games. And I made a crack about you know being fresh out of tokens, or all my tokens were spun at the arcade. And as I sat there staring at the Simplecast site, I was like, wait, this makes perfect sense. We're talking about diversity. Let's do it. So that's why the podcast is called Fresh Out of Tokens. It is our first podcast. We will try to do a show every other week, either with or without a guest. So if you're hearing this and want to come join us and talk about gaming or diversity or anything like that, you know, please feel free to email us and we'll get all that information to you at the end of the show and in the show notes. So without much further ado, I'd like to uh, welcome Chris to talk about Prism Show, um, who you are, tell us a bit about Brooklyn Gamery, and... Now, for a fun intro, what is it you're playing these days? I'm playing Splatoon these days. Like the rest of the internet, I'm really into it. Cool. Yeah, so if you could just give us a little bit of background on who you are, maybe something on the Brooklyn Gamery, um, before we really get into talking about the game. Sure. So I've been around the New York game development scene for a while, mostly going to game jams and the occasional lecture. We started the Brooklyn Gamery a few years ago after winning a prize in a game jam where we made what was actually the first version of Prism Shell. So we liked it and we won a small prize, which is pretty fun, and we decided to keep going with it. And that's how the Brooklyn Gamery was made. Awesome. Um, so with all that in mind and win winning at this competition, I'm sorry, the jam, you know, is that kind of what inspired you to go on and make Prism Shell? It definitely was. Um, even at the jam itself, just the judges and everyone who played it were really impressed with it. 
And we were really impressed with it too. We had, thanks to our awesome team, we had thrown together a pretty fun little video game in a weekend. Oh, and okay. so we wanted to keep going with it and see where we could take it. Very cool. Um, so that I don't hog all the questions, um, David, did you have any questions about Prism Shell? Uh, yeah, uh, my, I haven't had the opportunity to play it. Can you explain a little more, uh, for those of us who aren't familiar about what it is and how it works? Sure. Well, Prism Shell is a futuristic action game, primarily designed for mobile devices, but we've got it on PCs as well. Our goal with it was to have it be really easy to play. So there are three actions the player can take. There are these glowing points. If you tap them, you move. If you hold on the screen anywhere else, you fire your gun cannon thing. And if you tap your tank when your energy meter is full, then you can fire a sweet laser instead. And there are lots of different types of aliens. They come in different formations. It gets harder the longer you play. And it's just a really fast, intense action experience that is also really easy to pick up. Oh, very cool. I actually had a chance to uh, play it on my Android phone on my way home today and for a couple days during my commute. And it's really fun. It makes me think of, uh, it made me initially think of our type, but then it was like, wait, I have to, there's strategy in kind of getting around and not getting blown out of space. <laughs> um, Cause it was, it was pretty easy to, to get kind of settled in a spot and then go, Oh wait, everyone's shooting at me. I should really move. Cause Hey, there's health over there. Yeah, that was definitely one of our goals with design was to encourage the player to move around. One of the changes that we made actually was when you jump off of a movement point, it's temporarily deactivated. And that was because when we saw some play testers, they were just going back and forth between the same two points. And that wasn't fun. Oh, interesting. Um, well, I know it's available right now at itch.itch.io. Is that how you say it? Cause I was, I always feel weird saying itch.io. I've always been calling it itch.io, but who okay. knows what's correct. <laughs> okay. So, I would think itch.io. Okay. See, I messed it up already. I've missed everything. We, we could be wrong, you know. <laughs> so, it's, it's true. So someone out there could tell us, is it itch.io or itch.io? We, we don't know. It's, it'll become the great internet debate, like GIF and GIF. <laughs> um, so it is available on Android. And you said it, it's coming to iOS or it is on iOS? It's coming to iOS. And uh, in addition to being on itch.io for Android and uh, PC, it's also available on the Google Play Store. Oh, sweet. And right now it's like only $199, correct? It's $149 on the Google Play Store. Okay. I think on itch.io it was $199. Right. Uh, we have more versions available on itch.io, uh, so... That's why we have it that way. Oh, no worries. It, you know, two bucks for a game is nothing. Y'all need to go out and buy it. Buy it right now. I'm thinking about buying it right now. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> as soon as we're done, it's going to go buy the game. And if I can figure out how to stream on, from my computer where it doesn't crash, I'll hopefully try to stream it for you guys. Because I think it's a fun game. And, you know, it, it actually has strategy. Because I'm a chess player, so it made me think about chess eventually. It's like, I can't just stay in my one spot and keep shooting at things. Uh, I could try to stream it as well. I've had more success with PC games. That would be awesome. Um, yeah. 
So, I'm just going to have to check my <laughs> bank account and see if I have two bucks. <laughs> I, I'm in the same spot. I keep going to paydays, not till Friday. Um, but, you know, we, we've talked a bit about how it came about, but was there a particular inspiration for the game itself, or was it more just like we want to expand on the game that we already did for the jam? Well, the jam itself, the gameplay idea was sort of bouncing around in my head for a little while before that point, but I can't think of any particular influences for this game specifically, but everyone on the team sort of has a similar set of influences. We all enjoyed those sort of fast Japanese games of the 90s and 2000s. We all like Sonic the Hedgehog. We all like, you know certain animes, and so all of that stuff kind of blended together. Uh, the laser, actually, we, we did a lot of sort of studying of other lasers, and one of the big influences on that was Iron Man's Proton Cannon, which is his giant blue laser super from the Marvel vs. Capcom games. Oh, and cool. So we just sure. tried to grab interesting things from all the stuff that we like. Yeah. Looking at the website, I'm actually getting sort of like a early 90s, like gritty sci-fi feel. It does kind of have a little of that, now that you mention it, that that green, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, one thing that made me really excited about it was that there is a black female protagonist. And I kind of cheered and made squee noises at Cat Small in chat when she was telling me about it. But as we know, representation is not always an easy road to travel. So was there like a conscious decision to make her a black female protagonist? Or, you know, was this just more kind of how the story developed? There definitely was a conscious decision. Uh, this happened at the very first game jam. We all sort of believe that representation is important and vital for the game industry to keep growing in interesting ways. And so we all definitely wanted to have an interesting protagonist that represents players that don't always feel representative. And we're really glad to see reactions like yours and other friends of ours who have really felt a lot of joy seeing Beretta, seeing someone who looks like them in a video game and being a badass space pilot. Awesome. Um, so, sorry. There's, like, just so many, many thoughts about it because, you know, for those of us that don't don't know your host, you know, I'm, I'm a black woman, and David is a white gentleman. And, you know, we, well, we have great conversations about diversity and about gaming. You know, the last week has been kind of contemptuous for representation in gaming. Mm. <laughs> We'll get to that a little later, but, you know, seeing how people respond to just articles about representation, have you had any real pushback or, you know, has there been any kind of, well, this isn't doing well or we're going to consciously do it again? You know, we've been very fortunate in that there hasn't been any pushback. I don't think a single person has said, you know, why is your protagonist, a woman of color, or any of that sort. So we've been really fortunate because, like you mentioned, we've seen, you know, the internet and what it can do when it's angered someone, and we've been very fortunate to be able to avoid that. For future games, we definitely want to sort of keep the representation train a rolling and continue to make interesting protagonists. 
I think the fact it's science fiction might help a lot with representation because people can't make stupid arguments about how they perceive the past. Like in fantasy, they talk about the historical accuracy thing. Uh, Tanya's written about it at length, but they can't do that in science fiction. It's whatever you say it is. Right. Because our, our friend Medieval POC addresses this fallacy quite often in, in yeah <laughs> and hopefully we can get medieval poc to come join us one day because she's awesome oh that would be great that'd be so cool yeah she's sweet i love her dearly because i got a chance to meet her at wiscom last year and i said we'll, we'll get more into that whole witcher three oh my god it's polish mythology <laughs> let it go thank you questions or we could talk about it now because i mean really that that will may wind up being the rest of the show <laughs> once we get on that subject. Um, <laughs> I do want to get through a couple more questions about it, about you know specifically Prism Shell and Brooklyn Gamery uh, before we delve into that topic because I feel like we could talk about that the rest of the evening. Um, so I'm very glad to hear that you've not had any pushback. And like David said, sci-fi hopefully is a reason that you've not gotten a lot of oh my god, why did you make a black protagonist? Because um, uh, have you both played Papa and Yo from Minority Media? Uh, I have not, but I've heard about it, and it sounds wonderful. Yeah, I've heard great things about it. Um, okay, we should totally get you copies of it, because it's amazing, and it will make you cry. But when Papa and Yo came out, the protagonist is a, is a black child, and they got a lot of pushback. They got terrible pushback about why did you make this character, why did you make a character with a black kid as the protagonist? So it's good to hear that you're not getting that. Yeah. Isn't that such an interesting thing to say, though? Like, have you ever heard anyone say, why did you make this character white? No. (laughs) Never. Um, And what's funny is that I was actually on a panel at WizCon, one of many that I was on, about why, why, why cis, why straight, or why white, why cis, I think. I was on enough panels where I'm confusing them. And we talked about that actual subject of, you know, why does there have to be a justification if you step outside the quote-unquote norm? You know, no one's going to question someone who makes a video game or a movie or, you know, writes a book and the character is assumed to be white and cisgender and straight. Yet, if any of us make a game, and you have made a game with a black female protagonist, it always comes back to, oh, it's an agenda. You're forcing this down our throats. Because people have the default of white so ingrained, it's really hard to to make them see other things. Right. I think that definitely accounts for a lot of what we've seen on the internet, especially in the past week, like you mentioned. Yeah. Um, and so we can kind of get into that, unless unless David has... Anything else? I have one last question for you in regard to kind of what you guys are up to next. Is there anything in development for you? What should you be looking for out of Brooklyn Gamery? Well, we're currently working on getting Prism Shell on iOS, which has been an interesting process for all of us, working with sort of Apple and their various requirements to get things built. Okay. Aside from that, we have just a huge Google sheet full of game ideas. So we're probably going to work on one of those next. We definitely want to keep making games and keep making game-related events. Cool. And Brooklyn Gamery, obviously, is located in Brooklyn. Um, do you guys ever, like, hold jams? Do you ever do um, events at the studio? Or is it more just kind of everyone works at their own pace and you come together and kind of meet? Well, we don't have a studio. Uh, we all 
sort of work in either each other's apartments or other spaces. We had a co-working space briefly. That was fun. But we do actually hold jams. We held our third jam a few months ago. It was all about multiplayer games, and there were some really cool games that came out of it. Oh, that's awesome. Well, if you don't mind, give us a link to any write-ups on that for the show notes. That would be great. Sure thing. So, David, do you have anything else before we kind of move on to our never-ending topic of, of The Witcher and... And the uh, historical accuracy. Uh, not really. I think he explained it very well. Uh, and I'm sorry, I tapped the microphone there. <laughs> no <laughs> With worries. my head. Oh dear, are you alright? I'm fine. I do think if the stories we tell are like massively important. This whole idea that the uh, white guy who hasn't shaved today is our hero. <laughs> that's only because we keep <laughs> telling that story. There, it has no basis in reality. And as much as I enjoy being the default human, it's just not what, you know, it's, we only believe that because some sort of director or writer keeps saying it. Yeah, because I think there's been a lot of talk about, you know, how even if you can change your character, you know, like in Mass Effect or Dragon Age or something like that, where you actually create this, this avatar of yourself, the advertising and the marketing always defaults to the grizzled white dude and if we're lucky we might see a white woman but there's never like a brown person or a non-human in the advertising and marketing stuff uh, that is definitely true in the dragon age 2 all of the ads had the grizzled hawk that you can't even recreate with the character creator. But I think a lot of the time, it's like subtle things. Like in a, if you play Fallout 3 or New Vegas, it starts on white, and you have to change it from that when you're creating There's something similar that happens in Splatoon, and most games really come to think of it. Yeah, um, our friend Sharif Jackson, just his latest Gaming What's Good video is, on, is actually on Splatoon and the, the stereotyping that goes on in the game. Yeah. I... I really do think something as subtle as just having it start in a random place when you're creating a character rather than just always a white dude would do a lot to change the way people think. Yeah, yeah. it definitely would. I mean, but Speaking at, of bio... <laughs> sorry. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I was just thinking, that made me think about Rust and how people have utterly flipped their shit. Oh, that, yeah. People are so mad. And I'm oh. just like, stay mad, stay mad. See how it feels for once. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I interrupted you, Chris. I'm sorry. You were about to say something. Sure. Well, just about other Bioware games, uh, Mass Effect 3, like, it still had the cover of, you know, the gritty, bearded white guy. Mm-hmm. But it does a thing that I don't know if it's cool or terrible or maybe a bit of both. I guess you, you guys can tell me. But, like, if you remove the cover insert and flip it over, there's a female shepherd. Yeah, so with you can the have red that, hair. That, but you have to like reverse your whole like DVD case slip for that to happen. Yeah, you have to put in a small effort to be not a white guy. You can instead be a white woman. Yeah. Yes, yes, you can. And, and with clearly dyed hair. <laughs> I, I want to know where does she have time to like go keep her hair looking good <laughs> and like getting you know nails done all this other stuff she's fighting a war with flawless makeup <laughs> yes and and the mass effect 3 casual wear for shepherd is that leather dress and i'm like really you put a soldier in in this you know slinky leather outfit like she's really gonna be walking around in that yeah uh, questionable decisions 
Yeah, and it, you know, and it's funny because you know I know some of Bioware devs now, and Mondra, if you listen to this, please don't yell at me. <laughs> but you know, just some of the things like the you know the Mass Effect hoodie you can actually buy in real life was casual wear for Shepard in Mass Effect Three. But if you wanted it for Femship, you had to have the PC version and mod the game. Mm. That's a lot of extra steps. That's yeah. too much damn work. It's like, you know, why can't she be comfortable too? One day I will learn to find and make a game where basically your whole objective is to find comfortable clothes. I, I would play that. <laughs> like Game of the year. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the eternal quest in real life. So since we've kind of talked around it, let's just get into the whole mm. Witcher 3 and Polish mythology and our, our favorite mythical beast of historical accuracy. So I'm, I'm guessing you all have read or seen many of the tweets about Turkmus's piece in Polygon. Uh, yeah, it's like half my timeline. <laughs> <laughs> it's just what Twitter's talking about right now. But, you know, knowing that piece, and for those listening, Turkmus wrote a very good piece on The Witcher 3, The Wild Hunt, which just released across all platforms a couple weeks ago. And it's very clear if you actually followed him or, you know, read the article. He loves this game. He deeply loves this game. Has put in close to 200 hours into it yet he is calling into question the utter lack of POC anywhere in this game. There's one succubus that you come across, or succubi you come across at some point. I've only played seven hours of the game. They're the only clearly marked not-white complexion, and not even people, they're non-human, they're succubi, that you come across in the game, yet in the Witcher mythology, there's there's actually people who would be considered dark-skinned or not-white by default. Um... So Luke Masiek, and I hope I said that right, actually wrote a really good post on, hey, I'm Polish. Let me show you the ways in which you are wrong about this, <laughs> this faux mythology. If you've not yet read it, dear, dear listener, it is in the show notes. And he keeps having to edit it because people keep arguing with him. And he's like, I'm Polish. I know what I'm talking about. The fact that there are no POC in this game is bullshit. Yeah, uh, and really, the mythology is not Polish mythology. They they pick and choose from everywhere. Exactly. Um, I mean, I I believe I watched you fight a griffin on Twitch. <laughs> yes. I'm not sure where those sit in Polish mythology. Um, or Polish history. Yeah. Those ancient Polish griffins, you got to watch out for them. <laughs> <laughs> they were everywhere once upon a time. <laughs> yes. And it's interesting because I follow Luke on Twitter and kind of watching his timeline and talking about Slavic mythology and Polish mythology and, you know, this mythical beast of historical accuracy, you know, during the great dragon war of whatever hundred year you want to pick. And, you know, why is it we have this argument still about it's not historically accurate when you have a game where there are griffins and witchers, people that are mutated to have animal-type senses to do their job, but you can excuse having no diversity among even the NPCs. Like, there's not even brown NPCs walking around. Historically, right, if they're going to go with that, there would be, you know, at least one or two people who are foreign in most towns. Because uh, if you think about the history of Europe, the Roman Empire really moved a lot of people around. They would take, uh, their legionaries came from everywhere. North Africa, Arabia, Europe. 
And they all were put together and they settled and were given land in Europe whenever they conquered places. Right. And throughout history, trade and knowledge transmission has always been a really significant source of wealth for whatever society the trade is taking place in. And so you always get these movements of people and cultures around. Yeah, because I was just thinking about, and I know um, Maxwell Tovo on Twitter, who popped in the stream, has played all the games, is really deeply into the lore, and has already finished The Witcher 3 once, was explaining kind of Zakaria and these other areas that were in previous games. But you don't explore in The Witcher 3. People travel, you have horses. It just stands to reason, especially if we're going to try to fall back on the, oh, well, accuracy, blah, blah, blah. Um, people have horses, they have boats, there's water. They would have traveled around. So this idea that it's just perfectly okay, is it, is it lazy writing? Is it lazy writing? Is it maliciousness? You know, do we give the writers of the game the benefit of the doubt, or do we do what most of the internet has done and just assume, oh, they're a bunch of racist assholes? Uh, I think, having reviewed way too many stories, that they just don't think about it. They've always seen, you know, the white guy, and occasionally you get, like, Ellen Ripley or something, but in general, you have Bruce Willis or... Uh, other guys who are like Bruce Willis. <laughs> so I think it's just something they don't think about for the most part. Right. I haven't played the game myself, but I've read a no number of sources that it's just possessed of uh, surprising and deep humanity, that it just really cares about its characters in the world, and it doesn't sort of callously throw people around and use them as objects. Uh, so I'm not sure how much maliciousness, probably none, went into the lack of diversity, but you know, you look at video games. I posted a tweet that did moderately well on the game's so white hashtag. It's just one of those pictures with all of the white male protagonist faces of video games. Mm -hmm. And that's just kind of what video games look like and what, you know, fantasy stories look like. And so oh, I, remember I think that. they just went ahead and, you know, followed in that mold. In general, the people who make The Witcher, I actually think they're probably good people judging by the way their depictions of women have evolved over the series. Because in The Witcher 3, there are actually very mature relationships compared to the shallow, basically, gamification of sex that they had before. You even so, got trading cards when you had sex in Witcher 2. Yeah, I believe it's yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a... Wow. Yeah, uh, yeah, they've really evolved on that. So I think, you know, complaining will do good here. Yeah, yeah these are the kind of people that will listen to complaints and take them thoughtfully, I feel. Yeah, because I think Tolvo was mentioning that one of the devs did reach out to Turek about his article and kind of follow up and wanted to talk to him more about it, which I think is really good because a lot of game companies don't listen. They just, well, you know, and to be fair, sometimes fans are not the best at talking to game companies <laughs> or devs. I, I've been in the Bioware fandom a long time. Um, and and knowing that and seeing how most devs care because if they didn't care about games, they wouldn't keep making them. Um, I don't think anyone's in this just for the money. Because unless you're in a big AAA studio, you're not making you're not getting rich off making these games. Um, so I think the fact that CD Projekt Red actually listened and actually saw a tweet that our friends over at Spawn on Me retweeted. 
from someone who was like, hey, my colleagues at Ubisoft listened to this podcast about Watch Dogs and Assassin's Creed because that's another franchise that, that is up and down in diversity and, and fail or they yeah. do well with one game, they kind of fall down with the other. And wasn't watch- it? Sorry. Oh, no, that's fine. Uh, recently wasn't an Assassin's Creed game the one that had the trailer where it shows this guy doing all this cool stuff with zip lines and trains mm-hmm. and they never once mentioned that there is a female character you can play as in any of the promotional material yep it is the most current one not the one where you play a woman and it's based in China but the, the most current one now, I've lost track of Assassin's Creed they've made too many <laughs> yeah it feels like there's a game a year and um, as much as you know, I, I love the first three games. I bought which other uh, which are four. I bought Assassin's Creed <laughs> Four. I've got apparently I've got a line in the CD Project Red I didn't even know about. I bought Assassin's Creed Four Black Flag with my PS4. That was my launch title. Um, so it's not like I don't care about the games, but at some point you just have to sit back and go, how about we focus on one thing? And you know, the whole too hard to animate women really kind of spoiled me on Assassin's Creed titles for a and while. Also doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no. I mean, someone who used to work there was like, you realize we used the same wireframe for Aveline that we used from other games. So it's literally the same wireframe. That The whole uh, too hard uh, to animate makes no sense. I actually read an article by a pro- Patricia Hernandez, I mm-hmm. believe that's her name, at Kotaku, yeah. about breast physics. Oh. And it was really long and complicated and interesting. And at one point, they point out that the female playtesters, if it's ridiculous and too bouncy, they respond negatively. But if you take it out entirely, they respond negatively. There is some golden area of boob bounciness. Huh, that's really interesting. Maybe we could talk about that more in a future show. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I tried um, Dead or Alive 5 on the PS4, and there's actually boob jiggle physics options. Yeah, that's that series has always been like that. It's just, ugh. <laughs> well, I'm just like, okay, first you're scantily clad and you're fighting. This does not mix well. <laughs> um but the fact that there's an option for how much jiggle you want kind of kind of bothered me because I'm like, you know, as someone who's, you know, well endowed in the chest area, jumping around like they do, and yes, I know I'm trying to bring realism into it, but you're fighting and you're not wearing very supportive garments. You would knock yourself out before anyone hit you. Um, That'd be a very different video game. Someone should make that. Yes. In uh, in Skullgirls, they recently uh, released a male DLC character who I believe has uh, testicle bouncing. Oh my god! <laughs> That's awesome! I, now I kind of want to play it just for that, because I'm nice. too. <laughs> I, I, I haven't actually played with him, so I'm not sure, but I read something like that. Oh my god, that's amazing. I just kind of want to play just to see that, to see if someone actually did that in the game, because that would be awesome. That would be pretty great. So to kind of wrap up this first episode, E3 is coming next week. You know, we're, we're all into gaming, obviously. So are there any thoughts you guys have? Anything you hope to see coming out of E3? Any predictions you might have? Man, I'm I don't even... Nintendo shows something cool. Maybe some more Zelda or whatever. Mm-hmm. That'd be nice. More, you know, a Nintendo game. That'd be cool. <laughs> I don't know. I I am always very pessimistic about E3. Uh, if there is anything I'd hope to see, I hope they somehow bring... Konami brings back the Guillermo del Toro Silent Hill thing they were going to do. Mm, was that the PT game that came out as a demo? Yeah, PT was the... Uh, uh, the, tr- the 
marketing for it, yeah. But then they got into a fight with Hideo Kojima for some reason. Oh, yeah, that thing. I, I tried PT. It scared me. I couldn't do it. Like, it was just... The ambient creepiness was like, nope, I'm done with this now. Goodbye. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Silent Hill is brilliant about that. I replayed the first one a few years ago. It was like a decade after it came out. Normally, the blocky characters and everything is enough to take you out of the game, but I still got scared at some points. Wow. Yeah, I, I couldn't do it. I just... Nope. It is... it. That series is a masterpiece, is what I'm saying. Oh, it is. And, you know, it, it terrified me, which is what it's supposed to do. But I was like, nope. Because <laughs> I got to the part where the little girl opens the door and kind of peeks at you. And I was like, I live alone. It's dark. This is a bad idea. I never saw that. It seems to, there are way too many things that can happen. <laughs> yeah. I, and I'm those people, it's like, I'm not easily scared by things, but I'm like, this is creepy as fuck. I'm already like jumpy because it's dark and I'm playing this game. That was the last thing I needed. <laughs> Um, Chris, did you have any other thoughts about E3? Well, I think there were some rumors about Dark Souls 3 coming around, and I'm into Bloodborne, so kind of hype about that if there is some Dark Souls material that's going to show up. Interesting, because um, I still have Bloodborne. I didn't actually trade it in for Witcher 3 like I kept saying I was. I'm going <laughs> to give it one more shot. No, I'm, I'm terrible. There's like an hour and a half of me streaming it on YouTube where I'm just like, I, I, I cuss a lot in that playthrough, and I just kind of warn people, <laughs> if there are small children, if you listen to this video, you should take them out of the room. Because it was just, you know, like, I grew up on old games like Contra and the Konami Code, and games that are so hard, you want to throw your controller through the window. But, <laughs> but that hit a level of frustration for me, where I was like, this isn't fun. This isn't about beating it now. This is, this is just not fun. <laughs> Which starting weapon did you pick? Oh, the side I think. Okay, yeah. The game never tells you this, but the axe weapon is easy mode, pretty much. Like, oh. <laughs> you can just, like, swing your axe around in big circles, and everything gets knocked down, and, like, it's totally, like, the easiest weapon to use in the game, and, like, it can actually start to become fun once you do that. Oh. Yeah, so I guess either you would have to restart the game, or, like, you would have to go into a sewer and kill a giant pig, and then you'll get this badge that lets you buy the axe, you know, whichever of those sounds more appealing to you. Well, it's But once you get the axe, it should be a lot more fun. Okay, there's no problem with starting over, because I got maybe, like, an hour and a half in. I have not played it since I last streamed it. So, well, as for me, I'm really, really hoping we see something for Mass Effect. Ooh, yeah. Is that is that still a thing? I thought they closed that out. Well, it's not going to be Mass Effect 4. The devs have been very clear about whatever's coming up next is not Mass Effect 4. It is the next Mass Effect game. Like something in the universe, but uh, it's a new narrative because that one is done. Exactly. And if they add more to it, it'll just hurt the narrative. I think so, because, you know, for as many people that were mad about the ending of Mass Effect 3, and, you know, I played it, I came to the franchise really late, like, I'd always been more into Dragon Age and Mass Effect, and my friends talked me into it, and I played the games, and I got through 3, and I, like, I wasn't sure if it was because I already had downloaded the extended ending, or if I missed something, but I wasn't as angry about it as some people I knew, but I really hope to see more, because it is my favorite game, like, I wear my hoodie in the winter, and I'm all about Shepard, 
So that, and I'm interested in Uncharted 4. Granted, I canceled my pre-order because I'm kind of over pre-orders right now because there's really no benefit to it that I've seen. Unless you go for the super deluxe, like almost $200 edition of a game. (laughs) Yeah, I never pre-order anything unless I'm, I guess you could consider like Kickstarter pre-ordering because I do a lot of that. But Yeah, to me that's more helping a project get off the ground than like telling a AAA studio a year out, I'm going to buy your game no matter what and then getting a buggy product and that means packages oh, yeah. on day one. Yeah, yeah pre-ordering these days is just really risky for the most part, but I'm totally going to pre-order Mass Effect 4 whenever that comes out. Like you, I love that series. Oh yeah, I took a week off for Dragon Age Inquisition. <laughs> I will probably take a couple days off for Mass Effect. That was a good decision. Yeah, I, I played it. I streamed it. And I'm on my eighth playthrough of Inquisition on a PS4, which is why I have Damn. <laughs> yeah, this is why I have no room on my my hard drive. <laughs> so my next acquisition will be an upgrader hard drive for the PS4, <laughs> or delete some of my many, many, many screenshots because I I was that completionist person the first time through, getting like I have to I have to capture this in case I get something different next time. Um, so that, and like I said, I'm, I'm interested in Uncharted 4. I'm excited for the remaster edition of 1, 2, and 3. Because I never got to play the Uncharted games because I never got a PS3. Oh, nice. You're exactly the, the person who remasters are, are perfect for. Yeah, although I'm getting to a point where I wonder if it's worth it to just get an older PS3. And that's more the whole PlayStation Now and the streaming and, and the ridiculous price structure. Which we can talk about and have more talk about when you come back and hang out with us. Because we do want you to come back. Um, oh, absolutely. Yay. Sounds good. Yes, well, well, we already know that we want you and Kat. And, and I'm going to mess this up. I was about to call him entirely the wrong name. For some reason... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why, but the name Alvin popped in my head. And where? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I know it's an A, and I'm like staring at the website, and I'm just like, where did Alvin come from? What is wrong with me? Arthur. I meant Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> so Arthur is Edible Toaster on Twitter, who is awesome, and then Cat Small, also of Brooklyn Gamery, and Cat actually gave a TED Talk. So we're already planning a future visit for you guys to come back and talk about BlackGameDevs.com. But definitely, this has been an awesome first episode. I do want to be aware of everyone's time because it is a weeknight. But are there any final thoughts from either well from Chris, since you are our guest, and then from David before we wrap up? This was a super fun time. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm glad we finally got technology to work out for us. Technology. (laughs) Yes. Damn you, technology. So, David, any final thoughts? Uh, This turned out better than I expected it to, uh, (laughs) but I'm a super pessimist about everything. Okay. Well, I, uh, well, I aim to prove you wrong. <laughs> I hope you do. I uh, I enjoyed being here. I'll be here forever, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're, you belong to the podcast now. You're you're tied. <laughs> so, you know, just to finish off, if you guys want to tell people where they can find you online, we'll also have that in the show notes. And then, you know, that'll be a wrap after I tell people where they can find me. Sure. Well, my Twitter handle is Chris Algu. It's my first name and my last name. Prism Shell is available on the Google Play Store and on itch.io and will be coming to iOS shortly. Awesome. David? I, uh, I am Red Conversation on Twitter. My business website is davidlreeves.com where I write once a week about words and editing. And there is a contact form 
if you need an editor. I work on a sliding scale. Awesome. And my name is Tommy DePass. I am on Twitter as Cypher of Tears, C-Y-P-H-E-R-O-F. T-Y-R, or also at I Need Diverse Games, which is I Need D-I-V-G-M-S. Uh, the website for the podcast is freshoutoftokens.simplecast.fm, and our email address is freshoutoftokens at gmail.com. And there is a brand new shiny Twitter account, which, funnily enough, Fresh Out of Tokens would not fit as a Twitter handle. But out of tokens cast at you know with the at symbol does work if you want to tweet at us. So let us know how we did. Complaints, questions, feedback. Send us emails. We'll get to, get to reading um, emails on the show once we start getting them. And if you're listening and you make games, you play games, you have thoughts about diversity and inclusion and intersectionality in the gaming sphere, please talk to us. We'd love to have guests. And you know this is the first of what we hope is many shows. It was good to be here. Yes. Thank you very much for joining us, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.